Today, Pastor Javen continues our summer reading series from a book entitled, To My Friend Who Left the Faith. It's hard to understand the reason for all the pain and evil we see in our world, but there is an opportunity to express a hope that's greater than the pain. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. When Jesus is on the cross, this is when everything about our faith is being sealed in this moment on the cross and what's going to happen after. But in this moment, Matthew writes these words. He tells us about what's happening. We start at verse 39. It says, the people passing by shouting abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you're the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priest, the teachers of religious law, the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he cannot save himself. So he's the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now and then we'll believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. Why? Because death can't stand against Jesus. And the bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many. The Roman officer and other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake. And all that had happened. And they said, this man truly was the son of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these words that Matthew wrote. And that have been shared with us so that we can see what was going on in that moment with Jesus Christ. When he went to that cross for us. And Father, I thank you today for this word. And I pray today that this word would empower us, would encourage us, would equip us. And Father, I pray that you would take this word and that you would use it. That there would be nothing from my mouth that twists your word. And that there would be nothing from the mouth of anyone else that twists the words of God today. And we pray it and we believe it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. We are so glad that you're with us today. 
Uh, if you're new uh, and joining us for the first time, we just welcome you. We're glad that you are here. And uh, we want to connect with you. We want to get to know you, tell you thank you for being here, give you a gift. If you didn't get uh, asked at the beginning coming in, uh, well, we'd love for you to grab a card. They should be in the back of your seat, some in the lobby. Just fill one of those out, bring one of those tables out there. We want to give you a gift. Just tell you thank you so much uh, for being here and being with us and, uh, and uh, taking, the, taking your Sunday to be here. Um, I, don't, I don't know. There's a, there's a book series and a movie series that came out several years back. It had a lot of controversy in the church. I'm not going to talk about the controversy, but I do want to talk about the book, the movie, at least a part of it, um, because I think there's something that, that we can get some insight from. But the book is Harry Potter. The movie is Harry Potter. You heard of that? Um, uh, it's, it, it follows the journey of this boy, Harry Potter, his friends, Armani, Ron, and a lot of others. And um, in... in and basically, they're going to this school, they're learning some things, and uh, there is this evil entity that's trying to overtake them, and that's trying to overtake uh, what they know. Uh, and, um, and so, Harry finds himself constantly fighting in every book and in every movie, constantly finds himself fighting this entity, fighting this evil. And he begins to get frustrated. So when you get to the part about the Deathly Hollows is the book and the movie. He begins to express with great frustration to Armani, to Ron, what he feels in this moment. See, he's got a professor by the name of Dumbledore. It's a fun name, right? And this guy is basically trying to guide him with his wisdom through everything and trying to help him, but he really doesn't give him the whole picture. He kind of speaks in parts and there's riddles and and, and Harry's getting frustrated by all of this. And at one point, he, he begins to express his frustrations about how Dumbledore wants him to risk everything. Risk it all, Harry. He tells me this again and again, but don't expect me to explain everything to you, Harry. Just blindly trust me as you go about all this, following these little riddles that I give you along the way, these little bits of truth, but never the whole truth is how Harry feels. And if you haven't seen the movies or read the books, they've been out for a long time. So if you don't want spoilers, close your ears. But there's a part where Dumbledore is on this ledge and there's a situation and there's a the teacher that's a part of the school that, you know, everybody wonders, is he with us or is he against us? We don't know. And a situation happened, makes it look like he's against them. Dumbledore dies. But then later down the road, you realize that it was all a part of this plan. And Harry ends up defeating the great evil entity, Voldemort. And he gets some help from the grave, even though in the whole situation, he's, all, he's wondering the whole time and he's frustrated because he can't understand everything. And it, he just feels like he's being blindly guided through all of this. I want you to keep that in mind as we conclude today's series, the, or, or this, this series that we've been in, their summer reading series, to my friend who left the faith. I've told you every week, it's on a book. that uh, We're gleaning from a book written by pastor, author, Wade Bearden. That's to my friend who left the faith, right? And we, we've looked at a lot of different aspects from this series. We have talked about God's unconditional love. And he has a love for those who are wandering. He has a love for those who are wrestling. He has a love for those who are still in the house, but confused about God's love towards those who are wandering and wrestling. And he wants us to express that same love. If we know someone who is walking away to 
So rather than judge them or condemn them, to patiently love them and long for their return and love them and celebrate them when they return. We've looked at how doubt is not a bad thing. That questions are just a room for growth. And we've said that we should take all of our questions and we should hinge them to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if Jesus is who we said he is, if his resurrection is real, and I believe all of that, then that makes Jesus worth following even if we can't understand everything. And then last week we talked about this problem of hypocrisy. And this problem that people look at the church and they say it's just full of hypocrites. Well, the reason you know hypocrisy is wrong is because you have been created by a creator with something in you that points to the fact that there is morality. That morality comes from God. And we said that hypocrisy is not just a church Christian problem. It's a human problem. There's hypocrisy all around us. There's people claiming one thing in their life and not really living that in their life. And so what we have to realize is that there's sin in our world. And that even when we're in Christ, we put ourselves in Christ and he covers us from the judgment of sin, but we still have an enemy that wants to come after us. And so we still have to be aware of that. And so even though that takes place, and even though we might fall from time to time in moments of weakness and in temptations, it doesn't make us hypocrites. It makes us people who have been forgiven by God but who still have an enemy that's trying to bring us down. And so we understand through God, he taught us to love and to forgive in the face of all of that. And so that's what we need to see. And that's what we need to remember. And that's what we need to understand today. We're going to look at one more aspect, one more major reason that a lot of people will turn and walk away from the church. They walk away from the faith because they cannot wrap their mind around this aspect. This one big question, this one big thing that's hard to understand. And I get it. It's hard to understand. And it's the question that you've likely heard over and over and over before. And that's, if God is such a loving God, then you probably know the rest. Why is there so much evil in the world? Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? I get it. It's hard to understand. Christianity's faith clings to a God that we proclaim to be grand, that we proclaim to be wonderful, that we proclaim to be great. But yet in the world all around us, There's suffering, there's pain, there's evil, and there's hatred, and there's all these types of things. And we find ourselves at times kind of like Harry and these other characters, and we're sitting there wondering, why? Why is all of this? We're going through this life, and we can't understand how this all pieces together in the big, grand picture. Bearden writes in his book, and he makes this statement, he says, if we're open to the possibility of God existing, we must be open to the possibility that we won't always understand him. We talked about that when we looked at doubt. We said that there's things in our life every day that we trust and we allow to operate in our life even though we don't understand how it operates. And God's the same way. We trust him even though we don't understand everything. Then he makes this statement. He said, understanding suffering means being willing to not always understand it. In other words, he's saying understanding that suffering exists in our world means that we're not going to be able to understand the purpose and the reason behind all the suffering all the time. Matthew in his gospel, again, he shares with us this teaching that Jesus does that we know as a Sermon on the Mount. You find it in Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Jesus is teaching and he says that God's love allows the sun to shine on those who are evil. And it allows the rain to fall on those who are unjust. Now you hear that and you wonder why. But here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that God's love allows that to happen. If he allows that to happen, that means God's love allows that to exist in the same world that you live in. 
so it appears that we're at this crossroads where we're either amazed by that love or we're appalled by it. But Jesus says God's love is there. And he did not, Christianity, the faith, does not deny suffering. Jesus himself did not deny that there would be suffering. He told his disciples, in this world, you're going to have problems. You're going to have trouble. But then he left them with encouragement. He said, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So we put our faith and our trust in him that even in the middle of the trouble, the suffering, the pain, and the evil that we're experiencing in this life, we can take heart in God. Because the trouble we see has been defeated by God. Paul talks about this when he gets in his letter to the church of Rome. And he begins to express to the believer that in this world you're seeing suffering all around you. And suffering is going to be a part of the believer's life. Pain, suffering, evil is going to be around us. It's going to be a part of our life. Why? Because we live in this world. And he makes this statement though. He says in Romans chapter eight, verse 28, it's an often quoted verse. He says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. So everything, that means God takes all the good that's happening in the world and he takes all the bad that's happening in the world and he uses it to work together for the good of his purposes, not for the the way we want things to work out in our life, which is how we often quote that verse, but it's for his good purposes, right? And he's teaching us in this letter that suffering is there. There's good all around us. There's bad all around us. And where you may have good happening in your life, there's going to be bad happening in somebody else's life because there's suffering, there's pain, there's evil all around us. And that's why later he tells us wrong, uh, in chapter 12 verse 15, we see it. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Because these are things that we, we're going to go through things in our life where we have great things that we feel like we can rejoice over. And we're going to go through times in our life that's going to cause us pain and we're going to weep. So rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. But Paul tells us this in, in Romans chapter eight, he tells us that God's creation has been subjected to a curse that was brought on by sin. And God's creation has been groaning in this world because of the curse of sin ever since. Let's look at what he says. Romans chapter eight, start at verse 20. He says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we, even those of us who are believers, we groan also. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, For we long for our bodies to be released from the sin and the suffering that's all around us. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. 
Now listen, I'm, we're going to start a series next week. It's, it's on the book of Genesis, and we're going to go in to this whole creation aspect. We're going to dive deeper into it. Creation, when sin came into the world, we're going to dive into, you know, so for those that, that make the statement, if God is a God of love, why don't he just wipe out all the evil? If you're not in Christ, we're going to see in Genesis, you might want to be careful making that statement, okay? Um, but we're going to look at a lot of that. But what Paul is saying is all of this is happening from the very beginning. That creation is facing the suffering it's facing because sin came into the world. The reason the world was created and exists is to experience the glory of God, our creator. But the enemy doesn't want us to experience that. He wants to separate us from God. And God knew that, but God doesn't act without a plan. So the way we experience God and his glory now for us, we live on the other side of the cross. So we experience the taste of God's glory through Jesus Christ and his resurrection. But the suffering and the pain and the evil and everything that we see around us is all a a reminder of the moral outrage of sin. It's all a reminder of what sin wants to do to us and our souls and our life. And we've got to understand that. Paul says, he says, yes, there's pain and there's suffering, but he doesn't leave us just realizing there's pain and suffering. He tells us, you've got a hope. When you put yourself in Christ, you have a hope. If you look at his uh, companion in the ministry during that time, Peter, and you go to Peter's first letter that he wrote, First Peter, chap, uh, you, we, the verse that I'm talking about, you find it in chapter three. He tells his listeners that are hearing this letter to them, he tells them, he says, you need to always be ready to have a reason and an explanation for the hope that you carry with you in your life. And we've looked at that verse before, and we've talked about that and the hope that, that they have. And they, we've talked about how, how we express that hope, which Peter says is with gentleness and with respect. We've talked about that. But have we ever really paused to consider why, why there's a reason to express that hope in the first place? At the beginning of his letter, he writes them and he tells them that they need to rejoice in the suffering that they face. They need to rejoice in it. He's letting them know, just like Paul lets his listeners know, there's suffering, there's pain, there's evil. All of this is all around you. There's no escape from all of the evil that's around. But rejoice in the suffering because the opportunities for growth in your faith are there. And then we get to this middle of the letter and he's telling, look, even though you lived your life for God, the way that you are called to follow God, you're doing everything the way you're called, you're called, you are living your life to follow God, to, to love him with all your heart and your soul, your mind, you're living your life to love others the way that Christ loved you. You're still going to face pain and suffering and you're going to see evil. And he says, but you've got a hope inside of you that allows you to face it differently than the people who are facing it without that hope. So those people without that hope are looking at you and trying to figure out how you face all of this, how you live in this world without the fear that they have, without the concern that they have, without the worry that they have, because you've got a hope inside of you. So you need to always be ready to express why you have that hope and how that hope helps you through. See, our hope is in the eternal glory that we have in Christ. The promise from him for total restoration that we get through him, his everlasting, unshakable glory, the future hope that's even beyond this world of suffering. That's the hope we have. And so by resting and trusting in God in the face of all of this, 
without grumbling, without complaining, just trusting God in the middle of it all. We tell the world around us, look, God is more precious to me than anything I face and than anything that I might lose as I face it. He is precious. His purposes are true. His promises are real. And I'm holding on to him. So every time you see pain, every time you see suffering, every time you see evil in this world around you, 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 you have two choices here on what to hate. Either hate God or hate sin. I hate sin. Because sin's what brought it all in. Pain, suffering, evil exists. But the hope of God is great. And when we endure pain and suffering and evil, we endure it with love and, and we endure it with, with the faith that's grounded in Jesus Christ. We reveal his glory and we reveal that hope to the world around us. Paul expresses us that we're going to, when we keep going to Romans 8, he expresses to us, you're going to face opposition. You're going to face things that come against you, that come against your faith. But the opposition, when you are in Christ, when you keep yourself in Christ, the opposition that you face, it will not overcome you, Paul says. Because even though the struggles you face are big, the God you serve is bigger. Listen, we we are not isolated from the dangers and the pain and the suffering and the evil of the world around us. We're not going to be, at some point in our life, we're going to, it's going to happen. We're going to be like David when he wrote in Psalm 23, a lot, most, a lot of people know that verse, that you're going to walk through a valley of shadow of death. But what did David say when he wrote that? He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because God is winning. Play a little game of would you rather. And I don't mean this to sound harsh, but, but I want you to think about a truth here. Would you rather be struck by a Mack truck or struck by the shadow of a Mack truck? I think most of us would say we want to be struck by the shadow. Because we know that the shadow cannot do to us what the actual thing would do to us if it struck us. I know that there's people that are afraid to get on the interstate because they don't like to get beside the big Mack trucks on the interstate. So they'd rather take back roads everywhere they want to go. And that's fine. But listen, being in the shadow is a lot better than being actually hit by it. Because the shadow can't do to you what the real thing can. And when you're in the shadow of the valley of the death, you're understanding that you're just in its shadow. The shadow can't do anything to you other than maybe haunt you a little bit. But when you put yourself in Jesus Christ, that's exactly what you're in. You're just in the shadow of death. Death has no victory over you. It cannot affect you in the same way. So even though you walk through the valley of it, you don't have to fear. Paul says... You go and he goes in Romans and he says that Jesus came to justify you. He came and he died on a cross. He became the sacrifice for our sin. He took our sin, the punishment for our sin, and he put it on himself 
so that when God looks, when we put ourselves in him and God looks at us, he looks at us just as if we never sinned. We are justified. And then Paul says, you're glorified. He gives you a fullness of life through his glory. And not only that, he gives you a future glorification that Paul speaks of in the past tense. In other words, it's like that has already happened. You've already received that future glorification. So think about it. If Jesus put that kind of investment in you and gave his life for you, then no matter what you face, despite the evil, despite the suffering, despite the pain, everything you need is in him. It can be found in him. Bearden said this in his book. He said, because there's suffering and pain in our world, every worldview or perspective is going to require some form of trust. Every believer is going to, every believer also is going to have to sit down at some point in darkness of life and face up the fact that life is hard. In other words, just because there's pain and there's suffering, there's evil around us, we're going to face that because we live in this world. That doesn't mean God's not there. But he is a worldview that gives me a perspective in my pain and my suffering. And he gives me hope. So either you believe in nothing and you have no hope or you make a choice to believe in something that's going to give you hope. I believe that Jesus Christ is that greatest hope. Again, it goes back to his death and his resurrection. He is the only one, the only person, the only God that's ever come into our world that gave his life and defeated death through a resurrection and do it for humanity. The only one to do it, period, but to do it also for humanity. So it all goes back to that question is Jesus, who he says he is. See, the fullness of your life is not found in the evil that you avoid. The fullness of your life is found in Jesus Christ and what he did for you through the cross and his resurrection. And Paul said that you put yourself in him. There's nothing that can separate you from that love. And there's nothing that can separate you from him. Look at Romans chapter eight, verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God's for us, you're just saying about this, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us, was raised to life for us. He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted, we're hungry, we're destitute, we're in danger, we're threatened with death. Does it mean that God loves us just because there's pain and there's suffering and there's evil? As the scripture says, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who love us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, 
nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The who of your salvation is greater than the who or the what of your opposition. It's greater. And whatever opposition you're facing, just have the faith to believe that he's taking that opposition and he's making it serve his purposes. That even though that the enemy has a purpose of his own in his opposition, God will take it and make it serve his purposes. That's the greatness of our God. Pain, suffering, evil, it may exist. It may be real. It may affect situations in your life. But when you put yourself in Christ, it cannot affect your identity in him. And it cannot touch your eternity in him. So rest in the idea that people will see the glorious excellence of God in you when your hope is in Christ, no matter what we face in this world. So in, in rather than for those who question if God is a good God, then why is there evil? Rather than asking you to, uh, to escape or find an escape from pain and find an escape from suffering, I'm asking you to embrace Jesus Christ. Because that's where hope is. That's where you're going to find the hope in the middle of it all. Bearden says it this way. He says, the God of the universe doesn't just ask me to suck it up. He came down to earth to suck it up with me. We don't always get a straight answer regarding suffering, but we do know one thing for certain. If God's willing to dwell in our pain with us, then he must have a good reason for allowing us to experience that pain in the first place. See, this is the greatest defense for God and his goodness in the middle of a world of pain and suffering and evil. It's the fact that he chose to dwell in that pain with us, to suffer for us. The fact that he doesn't just see our pain, but he experienced our pain. He experienced evil firsthand. And because he did that, he provides us with a hope now to get through it and a hope for the future when we get through it. So again, it goes back. Is Jesus really who he said he was? Is the resurrection real? Yes. If the answer to those for you is no, then there's no promises and no hope for you in this life because you're not going to escape pain, suffering, and evilness or in evil. But the hopelessness that you have in the middle of all that pain and suffering and the hopelessness that you have without Christ, it should be something that causes you to seriously consider Jesus Christ. Because he's going, he's going to be the only one that you find hope. C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity, talked about Mere Christianity last week. Throughout that book, he's basically, and I'm paraphrasing, encouraging his readers to come to Christianity, not because it's comforting, not because it's encouraging, not because it's relevant, not because it's exciting. It is all those things. But the reason we come to Christianity and the Christian faith and we come to God is because it's true. It's truth. You may not be able to see the whole picture in everything and why it all exists, but you can know the one who is the truth. And when you know the truth, 
Jesus said. The truth sets you free. It sets you free from worry. It sets you free from anxiety. It sets you free from stress. It sets you free from the fear that comes of the pain and the suffering and the evil. And that's why we open with our text of Jesus on the cross. Because that was the very moment that Jesus took the brunt of evil for us. And we saw on the cross where Jesus Christ cried out, God, why have you abandoned me? And he expressed the same sentiment and the same emotion that maybe many of you have expressed in this life at some point. Maybe you online, maybe someone that you know. You feel rejected. You feel deserted. You feel let go. You feel abandoned. And not just by God, but by those closest to you that you've been walking this life with. They abandoned Jesus as well in that moment. And he's on that cross and he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you've got people all around him shouting, if he's God, he can save himself. What are they saying? They're saying, if he's really God, then he can remove all this pain and all this suffering and all this evil he's experiencing in this moment. It's the same thing that people in our world that we have probably maybe even expressed at some point. If God is God, he can take away all of this pain and all this suffering and all this evil. But all of that pain and all that suffering and all that evil was just part of the story. It wasn't the whole story. And Jesus knew that as he endured that pain, that what he was enduring paled in comparison than the hope and the goodness that was going to come from enduring that pain. And that was the salvation of mankind. He knew that that was far greater than the pain he was dealing with. And then Matthew tells us that he cried out and he released his spirit. Luke tells us what he cried out. When you look in Luke's gospel, Luke tells us, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Why is that important? Because even Jesus Christ, in this moment on the cross, he cries out at one moment, my God, my God, why are you... Why have you abandoned me? But in the very next moment, he cries out to his father and he says, my father, God, I release my spirit to you. To nothing else, to nowhere else. I'm releasing it to you because his only hope was his father, the father. Jesus, even though he felt abandoned because of the evil that he was taking all of our sin, taking all of the world's sin, it caused him to feel abandoned by God. But even though he felt that, he still trusted God and put himself in God. So even though we face pain, we face suffering, we see evil all around us, and we don't understand it, we trust. We trust God through it. We trust that he's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. We trust that he's going to work out every good aspect, every bad aspect of this world for his great purposes. We trust that he can do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything we think or imagine in this world or any answer that we think we have in this world for the pain and the suffering and the evil. We trust that he will provide all of our needs according to his glory. 
We trust that his compassions never fail. We trust that his mercies are new every morning. We trust that we will never be separated from the love of God. We trust that we have overwhelming victory when we put ourselves in Christ. We trust that the hope that we express in the middle of pain, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of living in a world with evil surrounding all uh, surrounding us, we trust that the hope that we express says to the world around us without Christ, they can have a similar hope and they can have overwhelming victory in their life. We trust that our identity is in Christ when we come to him and we trust that our eternity is found in him. I want to conclude with some of what Bearden concludes with in his book. It's not going to be on the screen, so you got to pay attention. But he says this, he says, the good news is good news. The gospel is the gospel. Not because it doesn't simply offer one a new life. It offers one a chance to be a part of a life that existed before our birth and will continue to exist after our birth. He says, St. Augustine wrote about people outside the church who didn't want to come inside the church. He said, they love truth when it enlightens them, but hate it when it accuses them. If you embrace Christianity... You are completed to divest yourself of your desire to be the final arbitrator in choices of morality, money, judgment, and salvation in relationships. If all the stories about Jesus are true, we can expect for God to sometimes go left when we want to go right. We can expect for faith to make us feel uncomfortable at times. Then he references a journey in C.S. Lewis's work, Pilgrim's Regress. He says, like the, like the main character, John, goes on a philosophical journey to find the island of his desire. He seeks to make sense of his yearnings. After covering mountains and meadows, John makes his way back to where he began, only to find the island there all along. And then Bearden says this. He says, like John, he says, I doubted. I searched. I read. I cried. I experienced grief only to realize that the object of my spiritual desire could only be met where I had started. And that was in Jesus. And he concludes, he says, Christ stands. He has always stood and he always welcomes home. That's the love of God. God's love is real. God's love is is there. It is ever present for us. We just have to embrace it. We have to accept it. We can take all of our questions. We can take everything that that we don't understand. And we can link it to Jesus Christ, to his death and his resurrection. And we can say, Jesus, if you did that for me, I might not understand everything, but I'm going to follow you. We can put ourselves in God. And realize that we live this life journeying as the bride of Christ. And there's going to be moments where we have moments of weakness. But you know what? I'm going to forgive you. You forgive me. We're going to love each other. We're going to work through this. Because we we live in a world that's full of pain. It's full of suffering. It's full of evil. But we have put ourselves in Christ. And we don't let... That doesn't have to have victory over us. It's not going to have victory over us. Because we put ourselves in Christ. And our hope is in Him. It's in Him. 
He is our victory. And that's where we put our faith. And that's what we cling to. So His love is there. If you've ever walked away from it, it's welcoming you home. It's there for you. And if you're in it, don't let the enemy distract you. Don't let him pull you away. Christ's love is there for you. His love's not going to leave you. Remain in him. That's what Jesus said. Abide in him. Remain in him. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.